0: Okay, hey, Savannah, thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, you are somebody that has come along our organization and the work we're trying to start since the very beginning, starting with a simple message on Instagram, uh, which I appreciated so much because you yourself are a foster parent and you fully understand the challenges and the support needed within this role. And so we're so thankful to have you join us. If you could start off with telling everybody a little bit about you and your family and just a little bit of background.
1: Thank you so much for having me. We uh, live about an hour or so south of Houston. And I'm married to my husband, Jacob, and we have four children, Kevin, um, who's our oldest. He is almost six and he's been adopted for about a year now. And then we have Aaron who's four and he's still in foster care, but we are getting moved this month to the adoption unit for him. So hopefully we'll be able to adopt him by the end of the year. And then we have his half sister, Julia, who just turned three. And we're just waiting any day now on an adoption date for her. So hopefully next month she'll be adopted. And then our youngest is Keaton, and he is three weeks younger than Julia. And we adopted him about a year and a half ago.
0: Walk us through a little bit about your journey to starting a family. And I know that came with actually also deciding to foster and adopt. So if you could kind of walk us through that and how you and Jacob first came to this decision.
1: We got married really young. I was 18 and we knew right away that we wanted to start trying to have a family. Uh, We just always wanted to be parents and have a big family. So we started trying to get pregnant like right off the bat and we weren't getting pregnant. So I can totally empathize with anyone like who has been through infertility. I totally understand the heartbreak and just the sadness and discouragement that comes with that. But for whatever reason, um, we just didn't feel like Um, pursuing infertility treatments at that time was right for us because all the while we had been volunteering at this camp. Um, It's a Houston-based camp called Champions Kids Camp, and it's for kids who have been through trauma. And so every summer we volunteered there and got to know the kids and hear their stories, and a lot of them were in foster care. At the time, we had never met or heard of anyone who had fostered or had been foster parents. So it was totally foreign to us, but getting to know the kids and hear their stories and hear what an impact um, foster parents could have on kids, both positively and negatively, really just started to touch our hearts. And we just fell in love with them. And we couldn't, we got to a point where we couldn't unhear the stories that we had heard from them. Yeah. And the Lord just really used that to, um, to draw our hearts toward foster care. So Throughout the couple of years of trying to get pregnant and being discouraged and wanting a family and kids so bad, and then meeting the kids that needed families and needed homes so bad, it just made complete sense for us to try to pursue that. So in Texas, you have to be 21 to be a licensed foster parent. So we had to wait a little while until we were old enough, but we found an agency who would work with us and we were able to go through the process. And then we got licensed on my 21st birthday. Awesome. That was a good birthday present.
0: (laughs) If you could take us through what the steps were that you and Jacob had to do to prepare to become a foster parent.
1: For us, we went through an agency and we filled out lots of paperwork. We had to go to um, training classes. Um, There's a certain amount of hours you have to go to. We were CPR and first aid certified. We had a fire inspection done, health inspection done by the city on our home. We had like a doctor fill out medical forms on us. We had to get TB tested. And once we finished all of those things and had everything turned in, we did our final home study. So that was um, where someone came and spent several hours in our home. They interviewed us, interviewed us separately and together. And I think if we would have had biological children, they also interview your children and then walk through your home and see where your, the kids would be sleeping and stuff
0: were you feeling nervous? Were you feeling excited, overwhelmed? Um, How did you feel having somebody come into your home and kind of having to fill out all this paperwork?
1: I was so excited. And honestly, I can say like looking back, I'm a little bit disappointed almost in how excited I was because I didn't quite grasp just the trauma that these kids go through. And so even though for me, it was like the most exciting day of my life, becoming a mom and getting kids, but I guess having a little more weight to what was happening now, I can look back and see that that was the most traumatic day of that child's life.
0: Did you have any major concerns about fostering or was it really just mostly excitement?
1: It was mostly excitement for sure. I mean, I was nervous just because I had never been a parent before. And my husband and I being very young at the time, you know, we figured our agency wasn't going to place us with, you know, an older teen. But just the possibility of that, you know, and us being just a few years older, that did make me a little bit nervous. And you can make um, specifications, you know, as far as what age you're willing to foster, uh, what gender, what race, like what, um, how medically needy you're willing to take. In Texas, you, they have three different levels of care, like basic, moderate, and I can't remember what the top level is, but we did say that we couldn't handle major medical needs just because we don't feel like we're prepared or know enough. But yeah. um, we said we were open to any race, any age, any gender. And when they call you to ask you about a placement, you can say no. And what was it like when you had the kids come into your home? It was a little bit crazy going from zero to three. But, you know, we were so excited about it. And the three of them were just, they were awesome kids. And honestly, like, so happy, so excited about life. And looking back, you know, now we were able to kind of see some of the issues with the fact that they bonded and adjusted so quickly to us that they were getting bounced around so much. They weren't able to like make a deep enough bond with anybody. They weren't sad when they left.
0: How long were they with you for?
1: About five months.
0: Five months. Okay. And what was it like um, when you got told that they were, were they going back to their biological family or...
1: Yeah, they um, ended up going back to grandparents. My husband and I were actually out of town for a couple of days out of state for a work trip, and we got a call from our caseworkers saying, pack up their bags, and they were leaving the next morning, and so because we were so new to it, I did not know how to keep up with their court hearings or their, like, what was happening legally, so I was so shocked by it, and we were just devastated. So we got back as quick as we could, and um, the judge was, allowed us to do like a slower transition. So it ended up working out, I think, as best as it could had. Um, they were able to stay with us during the week and finish out the school year. And then we took them to their grandparents on the weekends. And then as, as soon as the school year ended, they, they left. Seeing them leave was the hardest thing. We used to sing um, the song Howie Loves to them at night, and they were the smartest little kids, and they knew every word to that song. By the time I left, so it was still like when certain things like that song comes on, I will still just break down. Oh, and- how did um, you get your
0: next placements? And were those um, the children that you wound up adopting into your family?
1: About a month before the first three left, we got a call for our oldest son, Kevin. We took him a couple days later after we got the call. He was He came into care and then the foster family that he was placed with requested for him to leave the next day. So then we got a call a couple of days later, we went and picked him up in a gas station parking lot from that original foster family. So we had him and then the other three children left um, later that month. And then over the next couple of months, we got a call for a newborn and we got him a few hours later from the hospital. And then um, a month later after that, we got a call for a sibling set of two. Oh my gosh the next day we ended up taking them so we ended up with what, four two, yeah with two infants
0: and two toddlers oh my gosh so what was that like having four new children in your home at once juggling all of that
1: it was insane i mean it was <laughs> it really was i can't sugarcoat it there was a, like a period of time a few months after that where my husband had to work out of town for a few months so it was actually you know a few months that i was totally flying solo and I've never really been a person to deal with anxiety, but looking back, like I had so much anxiety and just fear just because not only was I taking care of, you know, two infants and two toddlers and just the craziness of just trying to find a routine in that. But whenever kids first come into care, especially, they have so many appointments and things they Mm -hmm. have to go to. And then all their different biological parent visits. And because they weren't all siblings, they didn't have the same caseworkers. So that's like three or four different caseworkers and visit schedules and then therapies. So just the going, you know, if we were home, I could stay home 24-7. I could probably take a billion kids. But it's not just staying home. It's having to juggle all their appointments and things. So can you tell us anything about
0: your little one's past? Um, is there anything that you're able to kind of share about some of the general details of what they've walked through and um, some of the challenges that you guys experienced in getting them acclimated into your home and into your family? And how have you kind of seen um, those things manifest into their behavior?
1: I guess we were talking about Kevin, my oldest, when we got him, like, I'll, he was almost three and he was completely nonverbal, and he was the one that I met the lady in the parking lot, and I will never forget just how scared and just terrified he was. He had this little Christmas tree blanket that he drug around our house for months after that, and anyways, she handed him to me. He was curled up in that blanket and just so terrified. You know, he's been a couple of days now that he was taken from everything he knew and being passed around from one stranger to the next, um, I immediately like took him over to Target to try to buy him a car seat, you know, and I was trying to cheer him up and he attached to my husband a lot quicker, I think, thankfully, and we still had the other three at home, which was a good distraction for him to be able to play mm-hmm. with other kids. Because when I first got him home that day, he went and hid under our front porch and just made like animal noises and hisses, like hissing at us. And he hit around a lot. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff that we just didn't know if it was because he was scared or something like we, you're really not told hardly anything about what happens before you get them. And so you're just left trying to figure it out, figure out what he liked and what he didn't like and how to make him laugh. And we got him into therapies pretty quickly into speech therapy and they do play therapy for kids that are that young. So, I guess, long story short, you know, three years later, he's now almost six and you just would not believe that he's the same kid that he was then. And it's harder to think of whenever you're, you know, with the kids every, you know, with your kid every day. So you don't see those changes, but for people, especially like our friends that see him, you know, once a week, once a month, there's like a little bit bigger of a gap. We get told all the time, you know, how just incredible the changes they've seen in him. So he's, I mean, still deals with some stuff, you know, but for the most part, a totally normal six-year-old, he, you know, he's still affected by things in his past, and he remembers uh, a lot and asks us questions a lot about things that have happened, But, uh, but he's doing so, so well. And what about your other ones? For the two babies, you know, they were young. I mean, there of course, there's stuff that we were dealing with just from, like, drugs in utero. You know, you deal with some of that for Keaton, the one that we've already adopted now, he has asthma and some other issues. And it just, I guess it's harder just not knowing a lot of stuff, like as far as this prenatal care went And But I mean, we got them so young that, I mean, they grew up and they really don't know anything different than than us.
0: Okay, so what did the road to adoption look like for um, Kevin and Keaton? So
1: for the four that we have today, when each of their cases got to the point where They were going to terminate the parental rights of their biological parents, then um, usually the foster parents that have them are the ones that get asked, you know, first if they would like to adopt the child they're fostering. It was a no brainer, you know. Uh, For Keaton, we got asked that about, I don't know, probably 10 months or so. He was 10 months old. We were so thrilled to be able to adopt and to just the comfort of knowing, okay, he's going to be here forever. And then for our other three, you know, it took almost, you know, two and a half to three years before we got to that point in their cases. And by that time, I mean, obviously, they're so adjusted, and we can't imagine life without them. So it wasn't really a question. But I will say, like, early on in our marriage, or before we got married, I always thought that adoption was going to be, I really wanted adoption to be a part of my story somehow. And my husband didn't feel that way. And I say that just because I know a lot of people have that Issue or you know, in their marriage, where one partner, one spouse wants to adopt and the other doesn't, and so I'd say that just as I guess be encouraging in that sometimes God changes people's minds, you know, so he even said at one point, like I could never see myself raising someone else's child, and I was just heartbroken by that because that's all I wanted to do when I got older, um, but just getting to meet, like I said, to meet the kids at that camp that we were at and just putting names to faces and you know, hearing the stories, the Lord just worked on his heart, so by the time we got to that point in all of our kids' cases, we absolutely didn't, without question, wanted to adopt.
0: Do you guys see yourself fostering any more children, or do you think that your family, um, is complete?
1: We definitely want to stay involved. We're gonna take a break for a while, like, we definitely want to see what it's like just to go on vacation when we want, and those type of things, but, um, no, I definitely want to continue fostering. That's sure. so awesome. That's amazing.
0: Have you ever described foster care um, to your children? Have you ever had that conversation yet, or are they still a little bit too young?
1: They're a little bit too young. I think the great thing is, like I said, when we first got started, we had never met a soul who had fostered before. And while we were in a, um, the training process, we met several um good who are good friends of ours now we met several friends who were going through the process too so it um and we've had some friends who have gotten involved since we got involved and have already adopted and are already out of it like it's been great and so they our kids see a lot of their friends are in the same situation they're in and they're not um, well at least for our four they're not really old enough to really verbalize that but we've attended they've attended other friends adoptions and it just makes it you know, all the, like, like, they feel totally normal because that's the culture we've tried to create around them. So has this whole experience turned out to be what you expected, or was it different? Was it better? Was it worse? I, I think when I first started, we really thought it was going to be, like, we were going to get lots of placements and have them for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just the idea I had in my head. And a lot of people, I guess it happens that way for them, you know, so I wasn't expecting to adopt as soon as we did. And definitely as many as we are this quickly. There was a lot of things in training that you're not necessarily prepared for not to scare anybody, but you know, you just don't know until you're, until you're in it. You don't learn how to, you know, talk to and relate to biological family. That's not something you necessarily get trained in it, you know, in your trainings. You, you're more trained on how to comply with the rules, you know, and how to fill all the paperwork correctly. So, I mean, there's a lot that's, you know, been really hard to navigate, but I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. I'm, I'm so glad that this is a route that we went. and These are the kids that we had.
0: What were your conversations like with the biological families? The first
1: kids that we had, we kept we had very, very minimal contact with their biological parents but we did get to know their grandparents. We were hopeful at first to be able to keep in contact with them. They actually got to come back and stay a weekend with us even after they went home. Oh, we kind of lost. uh, Yeah. We lost contact with them and I'm still praying and hoping that one day we'll, you know, get to meet up with them again and just hear how they're doing. But as far as the four that we have now, um, the two, the siblings that we're um, adopting, we're trying to shoot for more of an open adoption with them. Um, We meet up with their um, mom and grandma and some family members pretty regularly. Um, They've been very kind to us and we feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I want them to grow up and see, you know, what their culture is like and to see the family that they came from. And I know they're going to all have questions. So the hardest part for me right now, I think, is navigating just what it's going to look like for each of our kids who have different levels of communication with their biological family for our other two, they have different, you know, they're not related. And, um, I keep up through like emails and through like letters and I send pictures to their moms, but for various reasons, it's just not, it's not safe or what we feel like is in their best interest right now to keep um, physical contact with them. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like as they get older. And we have some who, who get to see their family on a regular basis and some who, who won't, at least until they're older, you know, I'm, I'm really adamant about trying to keep the contact because I want them to be able to have those relationships when they're older, if they want. And if we feel that it's best for them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you had any advice to give someone who's considering volunteering, uh, to walk alongside a foster family like yours, whether that's
1: financially or emotionally, what would you tell them? You know, there's so many different ways to, to serve foster families. It's practically endless. Um, but going back to that season where we had four little ones and my husband was out of town. Like I just, even though we did have great friends and family who helped us a lot, I just can't imagine having someone who was intentionally like, you know, Hey, I'm here to to help you. You know, whether that be volunteering to say, I'll cook a meal for you once a week, or I'll come and clean your house every once in a while. Or I think the greatest thing would just be offering to get licensed licensed, not license to foster, but licensed just to be a babysitter yeah. or for rest here, yeah. even just to say, I'll take this one child to this one visit or this one therapy appointment for you. So you don't have to unload four car seats. And, you know, I mean, just simple things like that. I guess my advice would be just to get to know them and to really know what they need and what would be helpful, even if it's not necessarily ways that are glamorous or the most convenient to be helpful, you know, for, Families who I can't even imagine who have the medically fragile children. You know how many appointments and the paperwork is just endless. You know every time you give a dose of medication to a child in foster care, you have to document it, and there's paperwork every week. And the more medical, like the the higher medical the needs are, the more paperwork there is. So I'm sure the needs would be different for those type of families, Um, or for families who get placements more frequently. You know the physical needs might be more for them. Like they would go through clothes a lot faster and they would need car seats and cribs. And so just really, it's going to look different for everyone, but I think just getting to know them and yeah, and being willing to do, you know, things that don't necessarily seem glamorous or Instagram worthy. When you
0: were talking about, um, kind of being at home with these four new baby children, um, that's the first thing I thought of is just like, having a love box leader come in and grab you a cup of coffee or make you a meal would have been just the perfect opportunity. Um, it's, it's so much for even um, a family introducing a new biological child into their family, let alone four new children coming from different places, different stories, and, and different challenges. Um, it's just a lot. It's a lot to juggle. And so they just need our support
1: the opportunity is endless you know I mean you could probably do as much or as little as you wanted there's so many ways that you could pour into and I I think for families like we always say you know not everyone is able or called to foster and that's completely true like even though I have a heart for and sometimes can be a little (laughs) pushy when it comes to foster care just because I see the need but it's truly not for everyone and something like this really would allow someone to get involved and to make a for real impact on these families and these kids without fostering themselves you know and the people who are called to foster you know we if we knew we had the support and uh uh, encouragement and even someone to say hey like if you take this placement i I will commit to doing taking them to their visit once a month or just knowing that you had someone there we would take in more kids if we could remember you mentioning that, that you would take in more and more if
0: you could, (laughs) as long as you had the support. Well, thank you Savannah so much. This has been amazing. Once again, you've been such a great friend to our organization and I can't wait to keep working with you in the future and keep uh, having you come along and speak. Um, I can't wait to share all your insights with, with our listeners. So thank you so much.